Father in heaven, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your care upon us. Thank you for this kind meeting and please be with us in this presentation regarding the topic of interpretation of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome. Let me share with you something, probably those who were with me a couple of years ago when I did this presentation before, I were dealing with, because last year with when we were doing the presentation with Eric Del Valle upon um, the Epistle to the Corinthians, we shared this, this uh, study. And you can get it online, by the way. But it's good to have that. And I recommend strongly that if you have the chance, you share that with your churches. Because um, uh, let me tell you a little bit about the background of the story of this or my story with this document. During the, the 80s, I was in the South American division, and I was working with uh, Buenos Aires Publishing House, and I was in charge of um, Ministerio Adventista, that is Ministry Magazine in Spanish. And Ministry Magazine in Spanish is a kind of effort from the two divisions, Inter-American Division and South American Division, um, regarding probably the general topics of ministry magazine in, in English for the pastors of the church, uh, mixed with some kind of local uh, writings coming from or Inter-American Division or South American Division that is a little bit more complex um, in certain sense, because we do have also O Ministerio, that is, Ministry Magazine in Portuguese language, too. So this, this document came across to, um, to the division um, in Rio de Janeiro, that is, Brazil. And, uh, and you are going to find out at the end that this is a document official document of the church um, from 1986, okay? However, in the time I, um, I was there, I never, never, N-E-V-E-R, never get across to this document until I left, that is 1990, and I came to the Inter-American Division to work with Colombia, and after that, Costa Rica. And uh, for my surprise, well, um, let me give you a glimpse of the 80s in those days. Those days, we were working with telex. I don't know if you remember those instruments, telex, uh, in which in the companies, um, you were communicating with another company across the world uh, through a telex. A telex was a machine in which you type a short message and you are going to start typing in the other face of the world, Revian Hera, Pacific Press, whatever, um, the message. You know, but for some reason this document didn't reach us. For some reason also it was, was not selected 
to be in, um, in the ministry magazine in South America. And I was a little bit surprised with that. Uh, I'm not inferring nothing. I am describing things. Let me tell you that this document is um, 1986. However, it was translated into Spanish in the year 2000. So 14 years after that event, and long time after I left Buenos Aires Publishing House. Let me tell you also that this document is going to help the church. Uh, if you read it carefully with a study, prayer, and so on, and it contains, I will say, the basic elements of a good process of hermeneutics or biblical interpretation. I'm going to deal with that according to that. But I, I don't know what, um, what happened with, with that, but let me tell you that is what I am saying, and I am very concerned with that. Um, because I, I've been sending, I, I translated that into Spanish, sent that to BRI, that is Biblical Research, and I recommend to put in, in online version uh, together with the Anglo version that, of course, already was online. So um, I think that this study will have avoided many problems that we are having as a collateral effect today if this was already um, distributed properly on time. I guess uh, you guys, uh, sorry, um, I am talking about this method of the Bible study. So, so read it and, and share that with the church because that, that document is a blessing. It is online, it's, um, it is online, it's online. Um, um, you need to enter into BRI, Biblical Research Institute, and you are going to download it, um, how many copies you want to have in the, in the computer, and it's, it's free. It's an official document of the church regarding biblical interpretation. So what we are going to be dealing with is uh, the topic of hermeneutics. We, we are being... Uh, dealing with what is hermeneutics, what is the word, what is the meaning, what is the relationship with hermeneutic and biblical authority, and what is not biblical authority, by the way. And of course, uh, here section in Spanish I am putting down, so we are going to find out. So here is the place in which you are going to uh, find out um, the, the point in Spanish for those who are with Spanish, this is the version, um, the place in the web um, to get it down. So, enter into the topic. The Bible says, Paul talking to Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Um, ordotomeo, by the way, is the word, and ordotomeo 
uh, from Ordo Khan's order, and um, and also um, what is orthodoxy is connected with that word, and uh, probably that is the word that explains in certain sense the function of the Apostle Paul that was working tents. And to do or perform a good tent, you need to rightly divide the pieces in the right proportion in order to get balance in, in the object that you are building up. And that is the case probably here, but it's a very quite interesting recommendation of, of the Apostle Paul because today sometimes I am concerned with the tendencies that are appearing in the church. I, I don't know what is, what is your perception, but I am going to open my heart as a pastor what I perform when, when I'm going to preach. First of all, I'm not going to preach about myself. I'm not going to preach about my family. I'm not going to try to entertain people. I am not in favor of the theology of entertainment. I'm going to the Word, and I'm going to explain the Word as far as I understand the Word, even in the original language, and sometimes checking up with the context, context of the book, and also reviewing Ellen G. White writings and so on, in order to give the audience that is us, the body of Christ, the best understanding and the best of um, accomplishing the meaning of the word. Today, however, I am a little bit concerned about some tendencies that are appearing into the church. And, um, and I guess that we need to get back to this topic. Why hermeneutics? Dividing right the word is a blessing. It's refreshing. It's a recreation of the truth in our times. But, but, and I put that in Spanish, in Kirianguanda, Arico is Kirianguanda, but this is a critical word, by the way, but. Because somebody um, says that but in a word, or however, is going to change everything after that. Somebody says that a judge was visiting Cuba and the translator was translating everything that the, the introducer of the speaker was telling about the famous judge visiting Cuba and, um, and the judge talked to the translator and said to him, please, stop the translation, don't worry for that. But after the word pero, but, translate everything. After but, translate everything. Because but is going to change, you know, some things in the sentence. Um, if the word is not rightly divided, then there will be some problems, sometimes heresies, and sometimes consequences and divisions in the people of God. So what is hermeneutics? The, the word comes from Hermes, and this is a Greek word, and, and you are going to find out um, a lot of 
um, explanations regarding, regarding this. But let me tell you that what I am going to tell you is my belief, um, my perception of the topic. Probably, um, probably this is more connected with Aristotle than any other thing, because he wrote a treaty called um, Periermeneia, and it's about um, the process of interpretation. And I'm going to show you that in a, in, immediately, because hermeneutics today is um, a discipline that is um, in the seminaries and is written hermeneutics, verbal hermeneutics, and non-verbal hermeneutics too. So it is important uh, to take into account that because it's a very important process of, of communication. Aristotle, um, around 360 before Christ, was the earlier author to work on the topic. And here is the, 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 the point, peri hermeneias. And this is the transliteration, peri hermeneias. Peri means around of hermeneutics, around hermeneias. Hermes, by the way, was the god that was the interpreter of Zeus in, 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 in Greece, pantheon, vision of the gods in those days. And uh, Aristotle became to explain the topic of the words. He says that the words appears first here in the mind, in our brain, as symbols of affection of the soul. And uh, he began to say that anun signifies the nun by convention. A verb carries uh, with it the notion of time. The verb is, is, can be past, can be present, can be future. And that is the meaning for Aristotle. And by the way, this is the function of um, grammatical, historical process of interpretation or hermeneutics. That is very important to take in account this. So the sentence is an expression that is part of something that has a meaning for us in our mind. So every single proposition has a verb, and verb carries the notion of time, past, present, and future. And, uh, and please, I am putting this in a very simplistic, I will say, way of explanation because uh, you need to take into account something. Aristotle probably is the first in writing a systematic treaty regarding hermeneutics. So sometimes when you read someone that is starting a process of, um, normally it's not the best explanation or easy way going with the process of interpretation. But um, peri, um, peri Armenia, yes. So what is the connection with interpretation? Well, the connection with interpretation is that uh, here in Peri, sorry, um, in uh, Peri Armenia, 
you see, this is the translation of the um, Aristotle um, work in Latin. Remember, remember the facts. Historically, Greek, the Greek culture was going to be under the dominion of the Roman. And of course, Aristotle was very well appreciated by the Romans in those days. So their works of Aristotle were going to be in Latin, and the process of um, translation of peri Hermeneias was Dei Interpretationis. And from there, you are going to get that in English and Spanish and French and several other languages regarding this, this topic. I, I was trying to explain that Hermes, in the pantheon of um, the Greece culture, was the interpreter of the will of the higher gods. So that, that in that culture, that is a pagan culture, um, was in certain sense a, a very interesting topic. Um, the rabbinical process of interpretation was a little bit different from this. And Aristotle was not, um, what I would say, a key author for them. However, remember something. There was a moment in which one of the students of Aristotle became the person that bring the Greek culture upon the Jewish culture. And that was a very difficult time for Jewish population and culture, to the point in which um, all the thinking, philosophy, worldview of the Greek culture began to establish a very big influence upon the Jewish culture. Are you familiar with that? If you are not familiar, let me tell you something. I'm going to share just in a short sentence. If you, were to, if you go to the internet or if you go, if you have the time to go to um, a library that might have the Jewish um, encyclopedia, search and take the time to read. Um, let me put the, the topic here. That is Hellenization. Hellenization. You know, until today, Helena, um, when you put in word, is going to give you the Greek characters in, in a word document. Are you familiar with word? You know. So Hellenization means the process of the Jewish adopting elements coming from the, from the Greeks. And let me tell you something very important. At that point, that is 300 before Christ, there were some things that affecting the Jewish faith because um, they began to adopt the culture of the Greeks upon the Jewish culture. To the point, says this chapter, that they took about three, 
thousand words coming from Greek language into Jewish language. Do you have an idea how much is 3,000 in words? Do you have an idea how many words normally we use in our daily interchange, in our English, conventional, Michigander English here? You have an idea? Well, probably six, seven hundred. Seven, three hundred is practically, uh, is too much. It's too much. That's the reason why when you go to, um, to the origins of the world, it's quite interesting to, to search and see um, how much dependency is um, English, Spanish, French, Portuguese, and Latin from the Greek influence. But remember something else. With the words, are not coming only the words, because are coming the meaning of the words, and the worldview of the words that created a peculiar, I will say, um, meaning uh, with certain words. And that is important to take in account, because from that moment on, something is clear for me. There is no immortality of the soul in the Old Testament. Everybody agree with that. There is no problem. I do agree with that. However, however, in this tiny lapsus in time in which there was not a prophet, and that is the intermediate uh, process in between the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that somebody says that were the, the years of silence because there were, there were no um, process of biblical inspiration or a word of a prophet or so for those years, you know, but there were too many changes. Uh, that was the, the time in which Alexander, the Magnus, come into the area, and, and that is the reason why today we have the originals in the New Testament in a different language from the Old Testament. All the written books in the Old Testament, we have them in Hebrew, and in a minus, minus portion or proportion in Aramaic. Because that was kind of relationship between Hebrew and Aramaic, very close, like, I don't know, Spanish and Portuguese, something like that, that there, there were, you know, if you speak one language, the other might be able to understand, and vice versa sometimes, if you put a little bit of a effort. I am choking with my mind on, with my wife. She doesn't like Portuguese. Well, yes. I've, I've seen that with Spanish and Portuguese people. Yes. Yes, and, and there is a mix of, of that. Somebody says, by the way, for me, was, um, when I was teaching in Central America, my discovery was um, why Haitians, for example, they were speaking fluently, easily Spanish, and I discovered that it, it, they, 
they took Latin in the secondary level. And when you take Latin, you are going to articulate easily Italian, French, Spanish, Portuguese, and I would say a little bit of Romanian. Because there, there is a kind of branch of Romance languages. Um, but Romania is a little bit different. It's a former section of the Roman Empire that was Dacia. You was for? Well, wasn't um, Latin was the like, official language of the Romans, but did they write in Greek or was it just influenced by the Greek? Or, when? Um, during the Roman Empire. Oh, that was the, that's a reason. I thought Latin was their official language. That's the reason why in the execution of Jesus, they used to put the three um, languages upon, and Latin was one of them. So they kind of spoke Latin and Greek? That was a kind of mix uh, that was happening in those days. Um, it, it, it is like, think about Think about Afghanistan nowadays. They speak English because the troops are there. And in those days, they were speaking Roman because the troops coming from Rome were there. But the people continue talking in Farsi or Arabic or whatever. That is, that is the normal procedure in the culture of those days too. So um, Apostle Paul and the disciples... Well, probably many of them were, were in a mix. Of course, Paul was a citizen, Rome citizens, Roman citizens. So, so he, he was, um, you know, kind of bilingual, uh, bicultural. Yes. And that is important to understand this topic because um, sometimes we need to know the origin of uh, both sides in the Bible. And remember something also. And that is a tricky thing. That sometimes um, it, is, it is bringing a, a little bit of burden upon the, those who are digging um, the topics in the Bible. Uh, today in the morning we use the word diaspora. And, uh, and I'm going to to um, write again that, uh, let me use here, this is the word. What does it mean, diaspora? Do you read from there? Okay. Diaspora was the meaning for those who were Jewish background, but outside the people of Israel. And um, the Apostle Peter um, says hello in the... Um, in the hidden of the, of the epistles to those who are in diaspora. And you are going to find out in, in the Bible, and that is the meaning. However, when you uh, understand the topic, those who were born in diaspora were bilingual or sometimes trilingual. They were Jewish, so they spoke um, Jewish language, and they spoke Greek language, and probably they were speaking more Greek language than any other language because 
Greek language was the kind of English of those days. That was for um, lingua franca. Lingua franca later was Latin in around the Mediterranean shores because everybody that was going to be doing business, they were speaking lingua franca. That means um, uh, the language with no borderlines. That is the meaning in, in language. So let me, let me put an illustration about this. Uh, I am working with multi-ethnics, so I'm very familiar with uh, ethnicities in Michigan Conference. So we were buying a charge for a lot of migrants coming to Grand Rapids, and they speak Kiryangwanda, the majority of them. And Kiryangwanda is not a culture, it's not an ethnicity, it's simple, it's a language. Because when uh, Belgium put, you know, the empire in Africa and took Congo, Uganda, Rwanda, and North Burundi, um, the majority of the people in those uh, places, they were speaking French, and that was one of the languages, and that is the language of the educated people because they studied that in the secondary level, and they were speaking their own tongue, that is Kiryangwanda. Okay? But for the international business, they use English. So um, I went to Grand Rapids, I bought one Bible, and there was a lady at the home in which I, I've been doing the business, and I began to talk to her. And, and, and she asked me, so you speak Kiryangwanda? I said, no, no, just a few words, but uh, no more than that. She began to talk to me in French. And I say, where, where, how do you learn French? And uh, she said, well, it's very clear. And, and she began to explain to me. We learned French in the secondary level. And at home, we speak Kiryangwanda. And for business, when we go to Zambia, Tanzania, whatever, we use English. That is kind of environment, flavor, that it is, is good to get with that background in the Bible um, in, in those days. And it's important to take in account about, about that because uh, sometimes we are dealing with interpretation. But the point that I was trying to, to tell you, and that is a little bit of concern with, that is that um, next generation of Jewish people in the diaspora became in need to get knowledge of scriptures. And about 250 before Christ, there was a big translation of the Old Testament uh, scriptures into the Greek language, and uh, that is called the Septuagint. Every time that you see this code in uh, certain writings, that code is for the Septuagint in general terms. That means uh, the 70 writers who 
translated the Holy Hebrew writings into the Greek, and they use here majority of Koine Greek language. Koine was the Greek of the soldiers of Alexander the Magnus. So it was not, I will say, the Greek language of Athenas or the poets or so on. That was uh, the people language. When you speak about Koine, um, you, you need to take into account um, that, that things. That is important because sometimes when you compare versions, it is, um, it is important to take into account. We enter into a topic now. Why we are performing hermeneutics? The first thing is because there is a distance. And of course, all the things that I've been trying to, to convey till this point, it, it is regarding this distance because there is a distance in culture, is a distance in um, geography, is a distance in language, and we need to, uh, when we are doing proper hermeneutics, we need to understand that we are trying to uh, bring the reader into that culture, not that culture into our culture. I, I say this again, we are not bringing our culture into the Bible time culture, but we need to understand that culture to understand the meaning of that. Why? Because in the process of hermeneutics, we are in the risk in which we are living today to overshadow the conditions of interpretation of the Bible with the elements of our culture nowadays. And that is a very, let me tell you, a very big risk. And I'm going to share with you some kind of documentation in the, in the following days regarding that. Um, 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 Bible was written by human beings, um, was written in certain cultures, was written in human languages, and to give information that was revealed by God. So the revelation in the Bible were copied and transmitted by human beings. So generally speaking, Bible, it's a book like any other book. But, at the same time, with a big difference to any other book. I don't know if you can comprise and uh, put everything in one meaning. When you are reading the Bible, yes, for the secular people, it's a book like any other book. But for us, as a Christian, that book is different from any other book. And that is a point that makes something special in the Bible. Uh, there is a cultural distance also. 
And there is a historical distance in the context because the context does not exist any longer. And um, I was in a, in a class, in a seminary that was not a Seventh-day Adventist um, seminary. And somebody says, look, the author died. The church died. And the needs that the Apostle Paul had in those days also disappear. So why, why we need to come back to the Bible? Why we don't perform, and please, sounds a blasphemy, but it was what I heard, why don't we write our own Bible? It's shocking, isn't it? I was speechless. I was... <coughs> That, that is, a, by the way, a Bullmanian um, person. Bullman was the author of influence in him. And let me tell you, that is, that is part of the problem that sometimes we are dealing with. I, I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And we need to keep the Bible as the Word of God. And we need to approach to the Word of God with respect and with honor, and we need to do our utmost to understand the meaning of the Bible. Of course, I do not agree with that, but um, uh, that, that was in, in the class, and that happened. I was not leading the class. was another teacher leading the class. I was taking that class regarding hermeneutics, by the way. Uh, so the, the, there is a contextual language, and it's important to take in account that. And, um, and by the way, I do agree with uh, what Pastor Ron Kelly said last Saturday regarding that we don't need to be experts and with a doctoral degree in Hebrew or Greek to read the language. The majority of the Bible versions, King James versions, New King James versions, are very good, you know, very, very good versions in general. But however, um, sometimes I, I, I guess that we need to be and to express certain questions regarding the translation. Remember something. I, I think that the authority rests in the text of the Bible. But I'm not going to say that every single translation is perfect. Because translation sometimes, and also the copy of one version into another brings several other situations that we need to know about that. And there were mistakes in the copies and for me, it's very clear. Um, sometimes, when we interview new pastors, we ask them, is the Bible the Word of God? Or the Bible contains the Word of God? And there is a silence sometimes. But some, sometimes silence means we are thinking. We are working. We are working in the, in the process. Because in one sense, the Bible contains the Word of God. 
you can say that that's right. But when you say contains the word of God, you are saying also, well, there are things that are not the word of God. And you need to be careful with that. Because that is what Bullman says. And all the problems that you see today in those churches in Europe that are declining and disappearing is because the thinking of this gentleman called Rudolf Bultmann. Because in the essence, he didn't believe that the word of God um, was inspired and truthful. However, however, it is my understanding that uh, when he was close to death, he regret and change and, um, and recant his position originally. Um, however, that was not in written. And uh, so far, that is just version, and that is part of the problem. So, Rudolf Bultmann, Rudolf Bultmann, by the way, Raoul Dederen went to Switzerland to listen a sermon, and he was preaching about the word of God, and he was preaching about the parables, and, and he was preaching very, to the point that Raul um, uh, Dederen was surprised. He was one of our professors, and uh, he said, who is, uh, who is the preacher? And the deacon that was in, in the Sherman sides of, of Switzerland approached to him and says, it's Harlem Bullman, Mr. Bullman, in, in German. And he said, well, I, I was surprised because he was speaking with a conviction about the Bible that Dederen was, was surprised with, with that. Uh, we need to approach to the Bible with a, a spirit of study and with prayer. You know, the rabbis, they wash their hands before dealing with the Bible. Are you aware of that? Before opening the sacred writings, they wash their hands. And after reading the Bible and taking in their hands the Bible, they, they, the rabbis, they wash their hands again to avoid to contaminate the world with the holiness of the writings of the scriptures. That's, that's in their mind, you know. Um, but um, I, I am telling this not to, to, uh, to choke about that, but uh, to tell you that um, sometimes we need to approach to the Bible with a little bit more of respect, because sometimes we are dealing with no respect to the Holy Scriptures. And, um, and it's, it's, it's good to know and to see what is, what is that. We need to avoid certain tendencies. One is to think that we need to know Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek to approach to the Bible. It helps. It helped me, by the way. Um, if if um, somebody like, like my dear friend here says, look, could you check that? I'm going to to do it. But normally, normally, before I'm going to preach, I'm going to check that text 
in or Hebrew, his Old Testament, or in Greek, if it, it is the New Testament. And I, I'm going to try to know the word, because it's important for me to know the text, because I don't want to bring any wrong idea um, regarding the topic. And that is, that is important for me. But um, also we need to pray. And, and we need to, to have to think that uh, we need to avoid this, I would say, Pentecostal tendency that if we pray and open the Bible, the text is the text that is with a message to us. Uh, we, need, we, need, we need to avoid that. We need to pray and study the Bible and study the Bible and pray. That is a good balance. Let me, let me, I'm sorry for the typo here. I'm not have the, the time to change it. Uh, um, this is not an experience, but it's, um, but it's uh, certainly it happened. I was working in South America and, uh, and the president of our conference invited me to go to a meeting with um, Bible societies, local Bible societies, in the times in which you were uh, uh, appearing uh, what is called this, did I put, yes, RV60, Reina Valera 60. That means um, Reina was one translator, Valera was another, and the Bible was uh, printed, uh, the first copy of that in the 60s. And let me tell you, that happened around, I don't know, maybe 70, 10 years after the Bible. Um, in those days, the, um, Eugene Naida, that was the chief translator and editor of that Bible, American guy, he spoke approximately seven languages, was very, very, very good, by the way. And, uh, and they sent me just for representation. But I, I am the wrong person for that, because I am, I, I am not, I am not sometimes working by, by the book, in, in that kind of condition. So, uh, when he says, "Do you have any questions for me?" Well, the the the, the problem extended maybe a couple of hours, and we ended up in, in his room in the hotel. Uh, in which he was uh, uh, stopping. In, um, the problem with uh, that version is that um, for some reason, uh, I don't know why, they put every time that appears Shabbat in Hebrew, Omian Ton Sabaton, um, that is New Testament, you know, for they, they put um, Dia de Reposo, Day of Rest, in Spanish. And they didn't put Sábado. They didn't put Shabbat or Sabbath. And I was furious with that. And uh, he said, well, we receive, uh, we receive uh, 700 pages from River Plate University and from this professor, another professor, and thank you very much, he was very polite, you know. He, 
Um, however, um, we were working in the galleys. Are you familiar with printing in the 60s? In the 60s, they were printing first the galleys that was a long, long piece of paper. And after they divided in pages. And so they decided to put an asterisk um, like here in the text. They put uh, uh, dia de reposo. And here put this and eat down with all the biblical references and quotation. They put the asterisk and say, uh, aquí equivale a sábado, where nobody can read it. So, when I left the room, he said to me, Daniel, don't worry. Uh, next, next version, we are going to put that in the text. Never appear in the text back. Never. And, I, and, you, and you know why, you know, because uh, probably, probably there were Catholics, evangelicals, and, uh, but but for me, it's, a, it's another problem. It's transparency. It's, it's honesty. I, I've been telling him. For me, it's honesty. You, you cannot bring a dishonest version of the truth. Because if not, the truth is not the truth. He was like, you know, he says, he watched me like, uh, your conference doesn't have any other guy to send to us. And I, I mentioned, you know, because he asked me at the end, do you have any other observations? Yes, I have several. And I began to say, why do you put in, certainly I say to you today, you are going to be in paradise. You remember that. Look. So, okay, there is a word that is, that is hoti in, in, uh, in Greek, Hoti, and there is a translation, K, and says to him, okay, in the version, you put K. Okay, where is the Hoti in the original? And he said, well, I don't have here, but let me go to the, to the hotel. You're true. The Hoti is not there. So if the Hoti is not there, why the K is in Spanish? That is, that is what or but, all depends in English. But um, he also said, next version we are going to. <laughs> and didn't happen. So, so for that kind of reasons, I will say, it is good to take a little bit of the flavor of the originals. Why? Because sometimes... You can be the wrong person like me, that you are going to be in the wrong place with the right person and a different maybe moment to tell them, watch out, we are reading and buying your products. And that is not transparent as they have to be. So 
for some, for some reason, we need to check sometimes. And I'm going to uh, help her with study yourself uh, about this, this topic. So are we, are, are we close to the time? Huh? 4.45. Okay. Let me say a couple of more things regarding this. Um, uh, of course, um, this presenter believes that the Bible is, is the truth and in the originals and is not a book of science and there are problems in the transmission and I am putting this example, tas entolas auton and tas estolas auton. Um, sometimes in the manuscripts and in the copies, the condition of one original or transmitted copy was not a, um, what I would say, clear. And these words appear in the book of Revelation. Entolas in the New Testament means commandments. You remember, uh, bless those who keep the commandments? The original says entolas. Those who wash their um, um, dress, okay, that's entolas. So from one to the other, you see, is, that is the difference. It's an ends versus an S. And sometimes you are going to be dealing with this kind of situations. So uh, that's a reason. So that is important to take in account about that. But uh, that's a reason why I do have with me normally the book of Metzger that is going to tell us what is the preference original language that they are taking uh, for, the, for the rationale of those who are doing translation. And that is, that is important. Message, um, I'm going to give you the bibliography maybe in the following days. So um, there are um, sometimes social groups that were only dedicated to write and make copies in the times of the New Testament. Every time that you see Pharisees and scribes, are you familiar with this word? That is grammateos in Greek. And they were the specialists in writing in the, in the New Testament. Um, sometimes we are misguided thinking in the Pharisees. But the people that were in the process of brain for keeping in mind the scriptures, those were the mind. Those were in the function of a kind of um, portable, I don't know if, please, don't, don't laugh aloud. Portable hard drives for all rabbis like me, you know? So when, when somebody says, ah, what is Psalms 1? You, and they come by memory, by heart. All, all Old Testament. So no television, nothing in those days. So they grasp completely and fully the scriptures um, and that were the scribes. So it is, it is interesting. Um, sometimes we concentrate. Three words that we need to put in mind 
in this uh, introductory process, and that is revelation. Um, the Bible um, was given by dreams, by voice, and in their minds, and by visions to the prophets. And of course, that also it is, and for me it is important because Holy Spirit is in the process of revelation and inspiration of the Bible. Inspiration means the guidance of the spirit in which the hagiographos was writing the Bible. Hagiographo, uh, if you put this, graphos is writing, hagio is holy, that is the holy writers. By that word, you are telling who are um, the authors of the Bible. And of course, illumination. Because when we are reading the Bible and believe what the Bible says, what we need is that, illumination. That's the reason why we pray. Because something that was inspired sometimes is resting outside our minds. But illumination comes and put like in a theater or an, a scenario all the light upon the topic and you are going to detect clearly that meaning of this thing. And that is illumination. For that, we are praying when we read the Bible. And that is a very important process in my understanding because um, when we are reading the Bible or the holy writings, we need um, the help and assistance of the Holy Spirit in the process of understanding of the Bible. Tomorrow, we are going to be dealing with um, certain topics that um, are going to be like this, and this is going to be like a kind of introduction of the point. That is what I call the circle of hermeneutics. And, um, and we are going to see that in detail. Um, of course, we are going, I'm, I'm not going to jump um, into that like, like now, but I am going to, to tell you what is, the, what is the process in which we are going to be dealing. This is what I call the, the circle of hermeneutics. And we are going to be dealing tomorrow in a specific CT regarding this. And um, when we are dealing with a Bible text, we need to take in account, of course, the context, the author, the language, the literary style, the biblical context in which the text appears, the lifestyle, the sources, the history, geography, the sociology of the context, the culture, the knowledge, education, religion, and worldview of those who are around that text. And when we are doing that, we are going to get an idea of the topic. So. We are going the following days to be working with that. So um, thank you very much for today. And we are going to start 3.30 tomorrow. And, um, and tomorrow I'm not going to uh, 
going to short my time, but today I need to go to Lansing. That, that is part of my problem. So thank you very much and thank God bless. Let's have a word of prayer, okay? Father in heaven, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your guidance across the scriptures. Be with us wherever we are in order that we be your disciples and teachings, teachers of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.